Good morning. So this morning we're going to take a little break from Luke and go to Psalm 138 and do a Thanksgiving sermon. Uh, it's uh, for a couple different reasons. One of them is, to be honest with you, I normally like to, to teach when I preach. And today is just, this week the schedule is just not allowed that. So today's sermon is more of a, of a devotional sermon. But uh, in that, I will say, it was just exciting to rehearse the goodness of the Lord this week, and I'm excited to bring a message to you, even if it is a, a bit more devotional. Psalm 138. This, this psalm is in three parts, and as you look at it, uh, before we read it, I want you to note verses 1, 2, and 3. Um, what's interesting about it is, once again, David's in trouble. <laughs> you it makes you want to pause and say, Lord, thank you that you ordained David to have so much trouble in his life because if he hadn't had that trouble, these psalms wouldn't have been written and uh, we, we wouldn't have been able to benefit from these psalms. Just think about it. In, in the providence of God, um, th in this psalm, he's in trouble and he's singing about deliverance from that trouble and it's exuberant singing. Have you ever been able to sing the praise of God when you're in trouble and do it exuberantly? If you look at verses 1, 2, and 3, that's the first section of the psalm, and that's what's going on. David is delivered again, and he's expressing this over-the-top, uh, excited, exuberant praise of the Lord, and, and that's the first part. So let's stand together as we read Psalm 138. Psalm 138 says, I give thanks O Lord, with my whole heart, before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. On the day that I called you, you answered me. My strength of soul you increased. All the kings of the earth shall give you thanks, O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth. And they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Lord, we've already looked at a lot of scripture this morning it's just such a blessing to do that we prayed to you and we've sang to you and i pray now that you will impress upon our hearts the great glorious nature of the god that we serve and the great glorious nature of the salvation that we have through jesus christ in his name we pray amen thank you you know it's been it's been said and i think it was um i think it was calvin that said this it's been said that, that the Psalms provide us an expression for every type of experience in the Christian life. And if we're looking for the right words in any situation, then we just have to go to the Psalms. Uh, I find that in a lot of my counseling uh, that I can, I can have people turn to the Psalms because they express exactly what the person sitting across from me is expressing in the Psalms, and it gives them hope. And, and surely this Psalm 
that, that moves us to be more expressive of thanks to God and more wholehearted in our praise to Him for deliverance of us because we have experienced, we live in the world of the advent of Jesus Christ. After the incarnation of Jesus Christ, after the crucifixion of, of, and death and burial and resurrection of Christ, after the ascension of Christ, and in the age of the reign of the Holy Spirit. This is where we live. We have experienced, and we have read in God's Word, a greater, a clearer revelation of God's deliverance of us than David himself knew or understood. Let that sink in. David could look back to the Exodus and remember how God delivered his people. David could look back to his anointing by Samuel, and he could look back to his making been made king over Israel, and he could look back to God's promises to him, as glorious as they were in 2 Samuel chapter number 7. Glorious promises were made to David, but he could not, he could not look back and see the things that you and I look back and see. And yet when you hear this psalm, you hear the voice, the heart of a man who is all in for God, isn't he? He's all in, in his praise to God. And you have to say as a Christian, you have to ask this question, am I going to let David out praise me? Knowing what I know, knowing what, that I know God, what he's done for me in Jesus Christ, Am I going to let David outpraise me? I mean, just thinking about that this week, just meditating on that, just was a wonderful week. What we have in Jesus Christ. Now let's look at the psalm together. We're going to look at the three parts of the psalm and see how we can take the psalm up itself into our hearts and lives in light of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ on the cross and in the resurrection. And the first thing that we see... If you look at verses 1 to 3, you're going to see that David is offering a wholehearted thanksgiving for God who is, for his love and truth, and for answered prayer. Look at verse number 1. I give thanks, O Lord, with my whole heart. David is holding nothing back here, is he? My whole heart. This is sincere worship. This is praise that comes from the bottom of a soul, from the very depths of his being. He is throwing all of himself into this praise. Yes, Lord, I give you thanks. And then there's a curious phrase. Look at the very next phrase. He says, before the gods, I sing your praise. All right? Now, what in the world does that mean? Are there other gods out there? They're competing against the one true God? Some of your translations render slightly differently, don't they? Some translations, or at least in the footnotes, says that it could be translated angels or it could be translated judges or kings or something like that. But this, um, this passage, I believe, is hearkening um, back to an earlier context of David and, and Israel. If you think about David's world, Israel was filled, um, the world around Israel, I'm trying to say, was filled with polyistic belief and not taking David up or embracing polytheism or acknowledging it at least, 
David may be declaring war on the other gods. I don't believe David's saying there are other gods. I believe that he's showing something different. Let me get a little bit more specific. We're not going to turn there, but just do you remember this, the second time that Saul tried to kill David? Word had gone out in 1 Samuel 26 that, that uh, David was hiding in the hills down in the southern part of Judah, and um, Saul tried to sneak up on David and kill him, and once again, the second time David had the opportunity to kill Saul, but he didn't take it. You remember that? And do you remember when David goes, he, he um, grabs some evidence and he goes to another mountain and he calls out to Abner, who is Saul's leading general, and he, he yells to Abner and then to Saul and he says, hey, hey guys, I'm over here, I'm over here. And then he starts to speak and he says, you know, there are men out there who are lying to you about me. They're telling you that I'm disloyal and they're trying to drive me away from Israel and they're trying to drive me away from the king and, and they're trying to drive me away from my God and from his worship. And David says in 1 Samuel 26, and they even are saying to me, go serve other gods. That's the last thing on the list that David says in his list of complaints about what men are saying to him. So you kind of get the idea that David is bothered by this. But he's bothered in his soul that someone will look at him and say, hey, you might as well go serve other gods because this God's not working for you. He lived in a world where all sorts of false gods are served and it vexed his soul. And the very thought of it um, vexed him. And that it's likely, in my opinion, that this is the background. Verse number one, I will sing your praise before the gods. I'm going to triumph in my praise in the presence of these false gods. And I'm going to sing your praise above those gods. Oh, Lord, I'm going to do it because I believe your promises. Someone in the Muslim world today might say something similar to this. I will praise you, the one true God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and not this false God, Allah. Right? Or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, no, we will not bow down and worship that image. We will only worship the one true God. I'll praise you before the gods in the presence of these false claimed gods. I will praise you. Something like that, right? But can you say that? Can you say that you're worshiping God above all the other false gods of our culture that are being offered to you? For example, single people, single person. Can you say, Lord God, you are better. You're better than the God of sex. Everybody around me is telling me that in order to experience satisfaction, that I ought to have, I ought to be able to take what is mine and enjoy it. Or how about you who work in the, the professional realm, the corporate world maybe, and hearing the siren call of the gods of ambition and influence and power and, and um, uh, money and reputation. Are you able to say, I praise you God as better than any ambition than any power, than any influence, 
than any reputation the world can ascribe to me. I praise you more than all those other false gods, Father. Or fill in the blank with a million other false gods, whatever they happen to be, that, that the, the culture around us is trying to press into your life. I praise you before the gods. There's nothing, there's no one in this world that I love more than you, God. You give to me, O oh God. There's no one I enjoy more. There's no one I delight in more. There's no one I treasure more. There's no one who has a fullness that you have. And the exuberance of this praise uh, is David's experience precisely of that. And he tells you what it is. It, it moves him not only from private expression of praise uh, to a public praise. Look at verse number two. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name. Now, this leads commentators to say that this looks like worship that is leading up to the thank offering in the temple. But what we see here is, is public worship, right? David's not just going to keep to himself. He can't wait to get to church. He can't wait to get to church to express the kind of praise recounted in verse number one in the context of the brothers and sisters in Christ. You can't wait to do it publicly. Is that your heart? Think about it. David never read the Gospels. He never read Luke. He never read Matthew. He never read Mark. He, he never read the book of John. He's never heard of Romans 5.8. He has now. Right? I mean, think about this. You know, you, I was thinking about this this morning. This is, this is added to my sermon. Just think about this. This is a prayer of Paul that David never experienced. He said this. He said, May you be strengthened with all power according to glorious might for all endurance and patience, giving thanks to the Father, listen to this, who has qualified you to share an inheritance of the saints in light. In light. And then he says this, He has delivered you from the domain of darkness and transferred you into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Who doesn't want to praise the Lord for that? You went from the domain of darkness to the domain of light if you are in Christ. You went from the domain of eternal punishment to the domain of eternal blessing. You were dead in trespasses and sins. Following the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, and you're, you're by nature children of wrath. And the, the Bible says, but God, in his great love. David didn't, didn't know that verse. It hadn't been written yet. David didn't know First Peter. Listen to this. Blessed be the God of our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of his Son, Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen, what, are we, what have we been resurrected to? What, is, what did he resurrect to give us? To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And we can rejoice in that. Who doesn't want to come to church and sing praise songs to that kind of a God? 
David didn't have any of that. He tells us very explicitly that he's going to give thanks to the name of the Lord for what? Look at verse number 2. For your steadfast love, your loving kindness, your covenant love, your faithfulness. You know, it gets translated different ways in different uh, translations. Grace, truth, loving kindness, faithfulness. But God has shown covenant love to David. And he's kept his promise to David. And he's done it in such a way as to preserve him in situations where he thought his life was over. He, and he's done it in such a dramatic way that he says here, look again at verse number 2. You have exalted above all things your name and your word. The, the phrasing of this verse is, is very, very interesting. But here's what he's saying. What is God's name? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What is God's name? Uh, there's a, there's, and please don't be offended by this. There, there are a lot of contemporary uh, worship songs that just repeat something about the name of the Lord. But I'm sitting there thinking when I listen to the song, but what are they actually trying to say other than say the name of the Lord, right? God, the name of the Lord is the revelation of himself. It's, it's the revealing of his essence. The names that God reveals to his people in his word are designed to show you who he really is and what he's really like. And David is saying, in the way you have answered my prayer, in the way you have delivered me in the circumstance, your word and your name has been exalted above everything else. You told me, Lord, that you were a God of loving kindness and truth. And you have demonstrated that to me in this deliverance in such a spectacular way. I've got to praise you with my whole heart. And I don't know where you are. You might be in the midst of a trial. But you can have joy knowing that God is your God. In, in, in our family life, it's been a roller coaster last few weeks. Roller coaster. And, and the one thing that has been constant is joy because we've been through the roller coaster before and you have too and you survived didn't you because God is faithful and it's been amazing to see in 10 minutes time just it felt like Job just one two three punch and then within just a couple weeks uh, the, the prayer requests that have been pray, prayed to God have been answered I wish I could spend the whole service just telling you what God's done in, in two weeks time it's just no less than amazing what God's doing. And God is so good. And He answers prayer. And you see it, verse number 3. On the day I called you, you answered me. Now David prayed a prayer, a desperate prayer. And in answer to that prayer, God did it in such a dramatic way. He preserved David. He delivered David. And David has got to praise him. Now, this is interesting. I want you to look at verse number three again because there's a hint in there that God didn't answer the prayer exactly the way he prayed it. Look at, at the end of verse number three. He says, my strength of soul you increased. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? You, you almost get the idea that David asked to be delivered and God's answer was, nope, but I'm going to make you strong enough to get through it. How many times has that been the answer from God for you? How many times have you prayed, Lord, get me out of this? And the firm answer is, nope, but I'm going to make you strong enough to get through this. Isn't that the God that we serve? 
That's the better way. But David recognizes that the strength of soul came from the Lord because there was nothing left in him. And it was God's means of preserving him. God does not always answer our prayers as we pray them. But if he doesn't answer our prayers in the way that we pray them, the way he answers prayers will be better than the way we prayed. You can be certain of that. And it looks like something like that may be happening here. It leads David to praise God with his whole heart. Wholehearted thanksgiving for who God is, for his love for, and truth in this answer prayer. Believer, you know yourself. You know the desires of your heart, don't you? You know your sins. And you know the deliverance that God has given you in Jesus Christ. Should you not outpace even David in wholehearted thanksgiving to God? Christ said that those who live after him are greater than those who live before. Why? Because we have greater knowledge. We're not more esteemed necessarily, but we have greater knowledge and revelation of Jesus Christ. We are far more abundantly blessed because we know who Christ is. And you know what else? We know what happens in the end. Well, let me move through the next two points quickly. Second section, verses 4 to 6. In this section, David is turning to the kings and the nations. So he goes from personal, now he's turning to the kings and the nations, and he's saying God's glory is greater than the glory you, all the glory you kings have ever seen. At the end of verse number 5, he says, They will sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is His glory. And he chooses the most interesting thing to highlight. How do, what does he choose to highlight the glory of God? You see it in verse number 6. Do you, do, you, do you hear what he's saying about God? He called on the kings to join in praising God because of the extraordinary deliverance that God has brought about in his answer to prayer. And he says this, For though the Lord is high, who does he regard? He regards the lowly. But the haughty, the proud, he regards from afar. Isn't that fascinating language? He says the kings of the nation gather around. Gather around here. I want to show you the glory of God. And here it is. Though he is high and lifted up, he regards the lowly. Isn't that a blessing? Because I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm the lowly. Don't you? feel like I'm a nobody most of the time. But I know that God hears my prayer because he says he does. And I've seen him answer, and you have too. You are a child of God. You are an heir of the kingdom. You have an inheritance that's undefiled. And the world may not know you, but God knows you. And he hears your prayer. Isn't that glorious? Now, there, there's an objection to Christianity floating around um, in the um, like material, scientific, uh, rationalistic, uh, atheistic type uh, community. 
And it goes something like this. You mean to tell me that the universe, as massive as ours is, massive beyond our conception, you mean to tell me that in a universe as massive as ours, that a God that created you cares about you? You hear that in their argumentation. We're an insignificant spot on a spot in a spot. Right? You mean to tell me that God cares about you? How arrogant is that, they'll say. Well, what does a Christian say to that line of argument? There's a lot of things you can say, but I would say, look at them and say, I'm sorry, but that question was answered 3,000 years ago. You remember which one it is? Turn to Psalm 8. Psalm 8 answers that question. Verse number 1. Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. And when I look at the heavens... The work of your fingers. Notice that Thursday night, I was talking about Psalm 139, how God knitted us in our mother's womb. Intimacy. And here we see that he intimately created the sun and the moon and the stars, and you set them in place. And then here's the question. Same question. What is man that you are mindful of him? Sorry. Dear atheist, the psalmist answered that question 3,000 years ago. Give me something a little harder than that. Right? Lord, you are so great. You made the universe. How could you pause for a nanosecond to even think of me? Because David says that though he is high and exalted, he takes peculiar delight in the low and humble. And he says to the kings of nations, go back to Psalm 138, Match that. Tell me something about your God. Tell me something greater about your God than that. He cared, my God cares about the humble and the lowly, but the haughty and the prideful and the powerful, people that think they're big shots, Mr. Big Pants, right? What was it, uh, the old phrase when I was a kid, they were too big for the britches? Those kind of people, right? He keeps an eye on them, But he does not allow these people to think about this. He does not allow those people to enjoy the favor of his nearer presence. That's reserved for the humble and lowly of heart. And if you have ever been in trouble, and if you're a believer, you have been in trouble one point or another, in difficult times, it's during those difficult times that you experience The near presence of the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? And you never experience that if you don't go through trials and difficulties. If everything's going well, why do we need God? And that's a theme through the whole Old Testament. Never did that theme take on more reality than the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Well, very quickly, let's go to number three. Third section, the third part, verses 7 and 8. Now David's back to the first person again. The first three verses are in the first person. 
I give thanks to you. I bow down. I, I, the day I called, the second stanza of verses 4, 5, and 6 go into this declaration to everyone else. There's sort of a second-person exhortation to the nations. Now we're back to first person again. And so having given wholehearted thanksgiving for who God is, for His love and truth, for answer prayer, having drawn attention to the fact that nowhere is the glory of God more evident than in His stooping down to care for the humble, He now gives a first-person declaration of three things. What are they? God will preserve me, God will fulfill His purpose for me, and God will never forsake me the work of His hands. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God will preserve you? That He will fulfill His purpose to you? That He will not forsake you the work of His hands? And because you know in ways that David did not, you enjoy a union with the Lord Jesus Christ by faith, don't we? God has united you to Christ by His Spirit, by faith, in His grace, in His mercy, in His love. He united you, you to Christ in faith, and you ought to be sure of these three things, and even David, that He will preserve you. He will fulfill His purposes for you, and He will never leave you nor forsake you. And so when we sing, we are singing to that God. And it should be that we cannot wait to stand up on Sundays and sing and give public praise to that God. Lord, thank you for the Psalms. When I was younger, I don't think I had the appreciation for the Psalms that I do as I'm older and having more life experiences such as the psalmists had. We have been given a revelation of God that David never imagined. We have seen Christ and we see Christ in all his glory. We have seen from Scripture answers to prayers, promises being kept. And because of that, we know that our prayers will be answered and that promises will be kept. And one day our faith will become sight. One day we will uh, uh, exchange the corruptible for the incorruptible. What a wonderful, glorious day that will be when we are no longer tempted to sin. What a wonderful, glorious day that will be when we stand before Christ with all the saints, knowing that while He didn't make it easier, He gave us the strength to go through the trials that we face. And so this Thanksgiving season, as we prepare for Advent after that, that Your praise will be on our lips continually, day and night. In his name we pray. Amen.